0: If you have a Bible nearby let's go to Ruth chapter three I don't know if you can if you can tell a difference uh, between here in the bcm but up here it's so it's, you guys are so loud when we're singing i think the bcm with the low ceiling and absorbed it and stuff like that and you just never could really tell and and what's funny is like we uh we went to this with this system and stuff uh so we're all like have our monitors in our ears and so when you have them in they're very isolating and so uh so you're really kind of unsure of what's going on, and so I've started like taking one ear out, and every time I do, I'm just shocked at how much volume there is in this room. And I think that there's a lot of perks to us coming over here, but that's one I didn't anticipate. Is is the the blessing that it is to hear the saints of God singing and and lifting those voices, and to really to be I don't know, it's just a really really special thing. And and so uh, lots of perks in moving over here, and that's one of them. Um, so, uh, Genesis, I'm sorry, Ruth chapter 3, although, I mean, Genesis 3, uh, pretty good too. Um, so we find ourselves at the weird chapter, as I like to think of it, because when I read it the first time, years ago, I was like, what? And then seminary, same thing, and then after seminary, same thing, it just gets it's just weird, and uh, I hope that that'll seem a little less weird, although there are some parts that are forever weird, and you'll see what I mean when we get there uh very, very quick recap you, Naomi was married to elimelech, they lived in Bethlehem. a famine hit, and there's no food, which we'll talk about that more next week. there's a lot of significance there um. And so, uh, but instead of staying and praying for seeking God to bring rain, they left, went to Moab, which is uh, basically enemy territory, uh, to go seek uh, food, basically. They had two sons. While they were there in Moab, the two sons married local women. Over the course of events, Elimelech passed away, as did the two sons. So you had Naomi and her two daughters in law. A uh, word came that Bethlehem had gotten rain, that the crops were there, and that food was back. Naomi says, I'm going to go back home. You two stay here. Uh, Mary, ha- you know, have a great life, uh, but you're, you're not obligated to stay with me. One of them stays there. The other one is named Ruth, and she commits and says, I'm not going anywhere. I'm with you. Let's go. So they go back to Bethlehem. And when they return to Bethlehem, they come back, and they're both widows. And what that, you know, the significance of that, you know, has a lot of layers to it. But basically, at that time, the way that that culture worked, uh, women were they were vulnerable if they did not have a father or a husband to look out for them, generally speaking. And so, to be a widow was to be in a very vulnerable spot. And so, God put together a system of making sure that all the widows were taken care of and they weren't left. Left hanging. So without a father or a husband, you had no, no one providing income. You had no food. You had no property. You had no really no future. It was kind of up in the air. And so the community was supposed to take care of you in a sense. But your family was really kind of who, who you relied on. And that's where all the covering came for from uh, for women. And so Naomi comes back, and she's now a widow. So she's vulnerable. She brings her daughter-in-law with her. Also a widow. Also vulnerable. And so they were, were left left basically to the, the social system that was there of hospitality and generosity and, and all that. And so they, um, they would have to go to find food. Would, they would go to a field. After the workers went through the field, part of the law was that anything that was dropped, you left it on the ground. Um, and the poor, the widows, those who were journeying through, they could come behind the workers and pick up what was dropped. And that's how the poor were provided for in that sense. And so we've been, we've been talking a lot for a couple of weeks about, about that instruction of, of not to, not to pick the grain all the way to the fences of your field. But, but you, you leave, you leave the outside. You, you don't cut all the way up to the corner. You, you, you turn your corners and you make them wide. And so a generous landowner would, would leave a lot of margin on the sides of the field and he would cut wide corners on his field. A, um, Someone who was not generous, who was not uh, honorable, would go all the way to the fence because that was his his field, his money, his whatever. And so uh, it left the the poor, the widow, those on a journey. They were dependent on the generosity and hospitality of the landowners. So Ruth decides, I'm I'm going to go and I'm going to go collect some food. So Naomi, you stay here because you're older than me, and I'm you know I'll, I'll get it done. I'll take care of it. She goes, she is uh, is collecting in a field that belongs to someone named Boaz. Boaz uh, knows exactly who she is. He's related to Naomi's husband. And he's heard about this uh, Moabite woman named Ruth and her commitment to Naomi, her refusal to let her fend for herself and her willingness to leave her homeland and come here as a foreigner and all that stuff. And he's very impressed with that kind of integrity and, and all that stuff. And so... So he just blesses her. He says, "You can you can can get whatever you want in my field. You stay close to my people. I've told the young men not to mess with you. If you need to eat anything, you need to drink anything. Like this is this is where you need to stay. You're safe here. You may not be safe other places. Uh, you you just all, all you want. I'll I'll, t- I'll take care of it. You know you're you're good to go. So she's found favor in the eyes of Boaz, um, and so that's that's how the how the the harvest plays out." And so that's kind of where we left things last week is, is um, basically Ruth says, Hey, this guy Boaz, he let me, you know, he's, we're going to be fine because this guy Boaz is going, to, is going to take care of us. And there's a verse in chapter 2, verse uh, 20. Naomi, Naomi said to her daughter in law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, This man is a close relative of ours one of our redeemers, one of our redeemers, and that's basically where things wrap up, and so you know that, that this is not just some random landowner named Boaz who's being a nice guy, uh, he's one of our redeemers, and that, if, if you were hearing this story being told, and you were an Israelite, like you would kind of know exactly what that meant, and you'd be like, oh, okay, that's an interesting twist, now to us, a lot of times we're like, what does that mean? He's one of our redeemers. It doesn't really bring up a lot of anticipation. But in the, it, the way that the book of Ruth has been used historically, especially in Jewish culture, it's supposed to bring this like, well, what's going to happen next, you know? So let's just kind of pretend that we have that a little bit. Um, and, but where that comes from is the concept of, of a redeemer. And there's a lot of ways to, I guess you could go and to explain it. But basically, a redeemer is someone who, who pays the price for the release of someone else from some kind of, of oppression, some kind of debt, uh, poverty, you know something something like that if you if you are willing to to pay the price for for them to come out of that, then you are their redeemer so hope of life in in Calcutta that I talked about earlier, you have these uh, these children who are homeless or living at a train station, and they are basically they 're enslaved to to that system they have no parents, they have no covering. They, they just have a gang, basically, that they're a part of, and uh, they, get, they get trafficked, they are hooked on drugs, they steal, they are malnourished. Like, everything terrible that you can imagine for the life of a kid, that's their reality. And really, they're enslaved to that. And so, Nabeen uh, and Matilda, they, in, their, in Hope of Life, their ministry, they go into the train station, they start talking to kids, and they say, if you want to leave this... Uh, we'll get you out. And essentially what they're doing is they're saying, if, if, if you want to be freed from this bondage to this train station and this social system, um, we'll, we'll pay the price. We'll take you in our home. We'll pay for your food. We'll pay for you to be in school. We will, we'll, we'll turn your life around. We'll do that. And so Nabeen and Matilda are the redeemers for these little boys. They're, they're paying the price for that release. Um, that's just one example, and so, so that that idea is something that that we have to understand. Um, but there's but there's more to it than 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 just that. In in this, because of the wording that's used, uh, you may have heard the term uh, being a kinsman redeemer. A kinsman redeemer is exactly what it sounds like. It's a family member who is functioning as a redeemer. It's a close family member who's able to pay the price for your release from some sort of situation that you cannot change yourself. All right. Now, in uh, you can look in Leviticus twenty-five is is kind of where a lot of this stuff comes from. But uh, to to kind of just sum up exactly what it took to be a kinsman redeemer, there were there were two there were two uh, requirements. The first requirement is that you had to be qualified. You had to be qualified. So if you take the term kinsman redeemer. Within each of those, there are certain qualifications. The kinsman, the qualification you had to meet was you had to be related to them. You had to be a blood relative. So you couldn't just be a nice guy. You had to be related. And so that's why in verse 20, Naomi says he's one of our redeemers. He's one of our close relatives. He's one of our kinsmen. We're related. And so if you want to be a kinsman redeemer, you had to be blood related. You had to be qualified as a kinsman. The second thing, uh, the second word, redeemer, you had to be qualified as a redeemer, which basically meant you had to be able to pay the price for that, that release. So you couldn't really qualify as a kinsman redeemer if you, if you also were poor, if you also had no covering, if you also had no land, no whatever. You had to have the resources that it would take to be able to, uh, to make that happen. So, uh, so you had to be qualified. That was the first thing that had to happen, to be a kinsman redeemer. You had to be related. had to have the means to be able to free them. Um, but this, the second requirement is that you had to be willing. Because there wasn't, there wasn't an obligation for a kinsman redeemer. You had, you had to, to choose to do that. You had to step into that role, and you, you would have to say, I will be the redeemer in this situation. So you had to be qualified, and then you had to be willing. And If both of those things were there, then you would could be a kinsman redeemer in the in the way that that this whole thing works. And if you want to research it and you want to go read Leviticus twenty five, you can you can go and do that. But but it had a lot to do with with when someone became a widow. What would happen to to the property, the money, the debt, all that kind of stuff of the husband of the family? And so, uh, for if if the husband passed away, then his Brother, there were like certain things that could happen. His brother would be first in line, uh, or an uncle could do it, or or a cousin could do it, or some sort of cl- close relative. There's definitely a hierarchy, but 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 different different things would happen. And so sometimes it would it would just kind of it's just just different. So if um, if a husband passed away and he had a brother, um, his brother could then have a son, like raise up a son to then marry the woman. As a, as a means of keeping everything like everything family related, as far as property and debt and all that kind of stuff, and so the whole point of the kinsman redeemer deal was was a, to keep the family intact in every in every possible way, um, relationships, money, property. Uh, and really just future, like future stability. It was, it was all about keeping that intact. And so the kinsman redeemer would make sure that if someone became a widow, because life just does that sometimes, um, you would basically follow this protocol to make sure that she was provided for, and that the family would stay, would stay together. And by doing that, you would be redeeming her. You would be paying the price to take her out of, out of that situation of being a widow and try to and keep everything intact. So Naomi and Ruth, they were widows, and there's not a thing that they could do about it. And, and that's something we have to we have to understand about just the way the whole culture worked is that they were widows, and they just they needed somebody to redeem them. And apparently, there were you know that that process had not gotten rolling yet, you know. And so that's kind of how we find ourselves, and that's very telling about the spiritual condition of the Israelites at that time. We'll get into some more of that stuff next week. So. So when she says he's one of our redeemers, that's, that's what that should trigger up. Is that Boaz, is, he's related to us, and he's obviously, he's obviously wealthy. I mean, he's, he's a, a landowner in a time of, of famine. And so, so he's, he meets the requirement of, of being a kinsman, and he meets the requirement of being a redeemer. What we don't know yet is if he meets that, that second deal about it. is he willing to do that. And that's where chapter 3 comes in, and that's where it gets weird. So uh, let's, just, let's just look at it. We're going to go kind of slow through it. Um, starting in verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. Okay, let's stop right there. (laughs) Seriously, this is what mother-in-law is saying. Wait till he's like got a full belly, and he lays down and goes to sleep. Snuggle up next to him, and then he'll tell you what to do. All right. Okay. Something that I've talked about this from time to time, I just want to bring this back up, that there's there's different ways to read different genres of Scripture. All right? And some stuff is prescriptive, and sometimes some stuff is descriptive. All right? Prescriptive things are saying, this is how it should be. So when Jesus is is teaching, he's, he's saying something that's prescriptive. He's prescribing. This is how it should be. When Paul is writing letters, he's saying this is how it should be. Then there's descriptive parts of scripture that are, they're just describing what happened. They say this is this is how, this is what went down. You know, it's not saying it's, this is how it should go down. It's saying this this is what happened. So we use what is prescriptive to better understand what is descriptive. Okay, and we know enough about what is. Prescribed in Scripture to know that what's being described here is not is not cool, right? Are we in agreement with that? This is weird. Okay, so we're just gonna. I'll uh, be point number one. This is weird, and it's okay, and and it's intentionally weird, and that's that's the thing that that I think not being Jewish and not being able to read it in Hebrew and stuff, and not being a part of that culture, I think we lose out on uh, kind of like how it's like weird, but it's on purpose weird. It's like one of those kind of weirds, and so. Um, but what I want to do is I want to let me show you two negative things and then a positive thing about this so far. All right. One negative thing is that this does not this does not give permission for women to make the first move. Uh, you, you you can't you can't use Ruth's example and be like, psh, worked out pretty good for Ruth. <laughs> you can't use that. All right. Now uh, there's Probably have various opinions about if that 's okay or not okay and 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 for me I, if 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 a married couple is a shadow of a, a copy of the original, then you always look at the original and in the original who made the first move Jesus or us Jesus and so in my opinion that 's enough for me. I think the guy should make the first move, and you might disagree with me, and that 's totally fine uh, i guess um, <laughs> but but regardless regardless if if you are going to encourage someone to make the first move, or if you, as a, I'm talking about females, and if or if you as a female are like, I'm just going to go for it. Uh, don't don't use Ruth to justify that that behavior. Okay, don't use it that way. That would be abusing scripture. All right, so uh, so that's the one negative thing is that we're going to acknowledge that's not cool. So all you young ladies in here, not cool. All right. Uh, but the second thing, this also does not give license to meddle. With your single friends. It doesn't. And you might disagree with that too. And and if if you disagree. If you want to know where I stand. Go listen to the podcast. About a year and a half ago. On singleness or whatever. But uh, this does not give permission. To start trying to like. You know. Match make and all that kind of stuff. And manipulate things. And so you might disagree. And you might think. No that's my role. (laughs) In the community. (laughs) Is to be that person. And I will disagree with you. But. Same bottom line principle. If you're gonna meddle, don't use Naomi and Ruth to justify that kind of, of action. Okay? So this is not this is just describing what happened. Alright? So that but in the midst of those two weird things, I think that there's something really, really good that we need to see. When she tells uh, like like think about what she's what the kind of situation that she's putting her daughter-in-law in. Sneak in, in the middle of the night. Wait till he's asleep, cuddle up next to him, and he'll he'll tell you what to do. This guy Boaz obviously has a ridiculous amount of integrity in his life. To the point where, here's this mother-in-law who cares very very deeply for Ruth, would send her into situ- into a situation that really could get, it could get really 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 weird. But she trusts his character. She trusts what she knows of him to be true. And I think that really, that, that's got to say something to us. And so I think maybe there's a little bit of something that's maybe not so weird about that, hopefully. You know, that she's saying, no, this guy, this guy is the real deal. And uh, you're going to be safe and you're going to be protected and it's, it's, it's going to be fine. Um, and so I think, that's, I think that says a lot about him. And and I think that should should be something that we desire on our own li- for our own lives on a lot of levels. But we're we're gonna we're gonna keep going. Um, so look at verse six. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother in law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, his heart was merry. He went uh, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Um, and so what's going on? Like they would. You know, there'd be like, like a hilltop, and they would bring the grain up there, and they would, it's, it's the same thing with, uh, as with Gideon, and they would, would throw throw the grain up in the air, and the wind would blow the the chaff away, and the good wheat would fall down. That's that's what they were doing. And so, uh, but it would all be up on this hilltop. And so all the workers would they would sleep all like all around it as a way of protecting it from you know being robbed and stuff like that. And so, um, so here's this landowner. He's in there. He's working with the guys, and all, like he's like really just in it. And uh, just at night, they would they would all like sleep all around the things as a means of protecting it. So so she's going into a situation that. That's really kind of risky. It's not like she went to his house. There's like people all around. Like it could be, it could be really perceived kind of strangely. So, okay. Um, verse eight. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, "Who are you?" <laughs> yeah, he did. Uh, and she answered, "I'm Ruth, your servant." Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Um, look at that. Let's just lock in on that verse. Um, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Uh, I, think, I think there are two things here that can help us interpret uh, the significance of this moment. Um, and I heard a long time ago that that Scripture, like, the best interpreter of Scripture is Scripture. And uh, Ezekiel 16.8, this is what it says, um, that kind of helps us understand that this spread your wings over your servant deal. Um, it does exist. Did I not tell you that? You did? Oh, there it is. Hey. Uh, when I passed, this is God speaking of, of Israel and... This is a beautiful passage, but when I when I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord, and you became mine. OK, the the same word that's used here when she she says to uh, uh, spread your wings over your servant wings and and garment are the, the same deal. And so this this verse, um, I spread the corner of my garment over you, or saying, I covered you with my wings and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. This is like this is in fact a like a a wedding, marriage proposal situation. And so uh, when she says that, there's like that would be like culturally of that day. That would be the understanding, is that she was saying, uh, like, will you marry me? Um, but what she's really saying is, will you be my redeemer? Are you, she's just asking him, are you willing to be my redeemer? Um, but also, you may notice, in, or you may remember this, in, in chapter 2, if you look at verses 11 and 12, in their first encounter, Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. That's Boaz talking. He says, You've come under the wings of God to take refuge. And what she is saying is, will you take me under your wings? She's basically saying to Boaz, like, you, you pronounce this blessing over me that God would care for me. And I want to know if you would be the answer to that very prayer yourself. If you would be the one to redeem me. And so the bottom line is, she sees him and recognizes him as a qualified Redeemer. He's a kinsman. He's of able means, and now she's saying, "Are you willing to redeem me?" There's a lot going on here in this in this text, and uh, there's there's it's a it's a tender moment. And personally, like my first like reading through it, I was like really like wanting to push away from the the tendency to make this a romance novel, you know, because my first reading of it like per, like in a personal sense was like, okay, this is, a, this is a business transaction, you know? And she's saying like, hey, you can, you can help us. You can make sure we're provided for and you can, there can be redemption of all, the, all of our property and all that kind of stuff. Like you can help us out. Like let's just get married and let's, let's, let's take care of this. And I kind of overcorrected that way because for so long I've had girls who, like when they talk about Ruth and Boaz and they get all like, Fluttery about it, you know. I'm like, that's not that's not what it is. I'm like, no, it's this over here. But after studying through it, what I see is like it's it's got elements of both. Because Ruth would she would not have uh, have done this if she were not wanting him to be the redeemer. There's there's a lot of of intimacy in this story and the way that it unfolds and when she when she uh, uncovers his feet uh, it's like what I was thinking of you connect that to the, like coming under the wings it's almost like like, um, like you see a couple that are like walking together and I've I've seen like women like they'll reach over and like grab the guy's arm and like put it around him and, like tuck up under him you know that's what it reminded me of of of, of kind of her saying like this is where I want to be. And so it is like there's love there, there's care, there's tenderness. And I believe this is formed in this relationship from that first encounter in chapter 2 throughout the, the rest of the harvest. There's been some sort of rapport that's there, that's established. And so, so think about the moment. I mean, not too much, but like here's middle of the night, snuggled up together, and she's saying, will you be my redeemer and here's this guy, He's qualified, interested. This could get really weird really quickly, and yet this is what happens. Look at verse 10. He said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. First things out of his mouth, all right? woman comes, gets in his bed, and he blesses her. This is a man right here. This is not a boy. This is a man. May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You've made this last kindness greater than the first and that you've not gone after rich men, whether, I'm sorry, after young men, whether rich or poor. This is a meaningful moment to him. Some people say, what? why didn't he make the first move? If he was a real man, he would have initiated it. Well, probably because he's like, 20 something years older than her and no man with integrity wants to be that dude. You you don't like no guy with integrity is like, yeah, no, I'm gonna go on the prowl. It's just not, it's just not, not the case. And so I'm sure there was some insecurity and that's probably why he's saying this greatest kindness, like this is better than your commitment to Naomi. Like it just means something to him. It's confirming to him. And So that's one reason why he probably didn't make the first move is he was like, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to be that guy. Verse eleven, and now uh, he's also just t- talking about her character. And I love the fact that like she just proposed to him, and he's just going to basically say all these really great things about her. The first of all, being like you're not just you weren't just like on the prowl, like whatever. Like you, he just he's all about her. Let's face it. Look at his response. Verse eleven, and now my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you uh, all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true, I am a redeemer, yet. uh, there's There's a bad word, right? Yet. True, I'm a redeemer, yet there's a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. See, this guy had a ridiculous amount of integrity to the point where he was like, I'm going to redeem I want to redeem you, but I don't want to do it the wrong way. There's a, a redeemer that's nearer to you. He followed the law. He he did what God laid down in front of him. We need we need we need to be men like this. Not by the law in a legalistic sense, but we need to we need to not be boys about stuff. We need to keep pushing ourselves. Say, no, this is, this is God honoring. And as much as I want to do this, I, I, like I, God, needs, God needs to set the pace. God needs to open the doors. God needs to, he needs to walk these steps forward and not me. This is a man. And so that's what he tells her. Verse 14, so she laid his feet until the morning. But arose before one could recognize another, and he said, "Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor." He didn't send her away in the middle of the night because that would be dangerous. But he also didn't want her to get a reputation that that she shouldn't have, and so he again protects, provides, continues to be who God made him to be. Um, Verse fifteen, he said, "Bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out." So she held it, and he measured out. Uh, six measures of barley, and put it on her. And then she went to the city. He Gave her six measures of barley. I uh, heard somebody say, like, that's the weirdest engagement ring ever. <laughs> I thought it was funny. Um, she went to the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Well, You've been gone all night, okay. Uh, then then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley uh, he gave to me, And he said, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. That's a good dude. Uh, She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but he will settle the matter today. Um, That, uh, and as the story goes, I mean, you probably know already, it all works out. We'll get to some of that stuff next week, but... But I want you to to think about this this kinsman redeemer concept as we as we close. Uh, for us to to be able to really understand who we are, I think we need to. I think we need to understand what's happened here. Uh, for us to be able to to be in Christ and to sing some of the things that we're singing and. Uh, to to anchor ourselves in, in these truths, I think we need to we need to understand that that Boaz is a, he's a type of Christ, he's a shadow of Christ, and we we got into this last week about uh, that what we see here helps us understand the greater reality of what Christ has done for us, and Jesus being our kinsman redeemer. Uh, turn to Philippians chapter two. Um, and you're probably thinking that dude always goes to Philippians 2 I do but I think we need to understand something there's multiple reasons why we have the book of Ruth found some old notes from seminary and dude rattled off like 10 I think one for us tonight is For us to continue to have an understanding of Jesus as our Redeemer, Uh, you know, we sung some songs about the cross, and and that's, I mean, that's the that's the redemptive moment that for Him to be our Redeemer, He has paid the price for our release, right? So He's our Redeemer, and we are the redeemed. In that sense. But I think, I think we need to, to see it in, in terms of a kinsman redeemer. That God in, like built into the life of Israel. Built into uh, their understanding of who he is. And how they need to function because of, in light of that. And how they need to relate with one another. And how things need to work. God designed something that he would bring to its greatest fulfillment in Christ. So, Philippians 2, verse 4. I mean, sorry, verse 5. So, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. For us to jump into the story of Ruth, I think it's very simple. Um... Is Jesus, is Jesus a kinsman, redeemer, or is he not? Well, does he meet the, the requirements? Right. First one, is he qualified? Is he, is he a kinsman? Uh, well, verse 7 says that he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Verse 8 says he was found in human form. So is he a kinsman? Well, yeah, he, he's the incarnate word, right? He's born of the Virgin Mary. I mean, like everything we know, everything we talk about during Advent, uh, is he a kinsman? Absolutely. So God builds into the beginnings of Scripture and the beginnings of like, redemptive history, this understanding that uh, in order to be redeemed, they have to be your kin, that says that Jesus is our kin. So does he meet that requirement? Yes. He's qualified as a kinsman because he's human. He's one of us. Does he meet the other, the other qualification? Is he a redeemer? Is he, is he capable of paying the debt? Is he rich? Is he worthy? Is he able? Well, verse 6 says that he was in the form of God. It didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So, uh, who's more rich than God? Nobody. All right. Who's more capable of paying a debt than God? Nobody. Who's able to free from any sort of bondage? Like what? Name something that God is unable to do, and with that, you can't. You can't do it. So, uh, was he qualified as a redeemer? In the sense that he was able to free from whatever the bondage was. Well, I was, that says yes. That says yes. So was he qualified as a kinsman or redeemer? Yes. So the real question is, is he willing? That's where Ruth was at this point in the story. They'd identified that Boaz was a kin a kinsman and he was able as a redeemer to 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 pay for everything. The question is, is he willing? Our question with Jesus, is he willing to pay the price? And we see it here too. Verse 8. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I think that this is one of many, many, many places we could turn that says, is he willing? Absolutely, he's willing. Absolutely, he's willing. From the very beginnings, God wanted us to understand a kinsman redeemer. Because he was going to send the kinsman redeemer. For you and for me. For your families, for your friends. We need to understand it for our own story and for others. Because I think the missing element is, do people see the need for a redeemer in the first place? That's the thing with Ruth and Naomi is they, they got back to Bethlehem, and they were like, "Hey, we need a redeemer." A lot of people walk in the streets of this city and in our lives, they're not looking like, "Hey, I need a redeemer." They don't always recognize something's, something's not right." If you're a Christian at some point you're like, "Man, I, I need some help. I'm in a situation I cannot change. I need someone who is one who is willing and able to redeem me. And if you're a Christian, then you recognize Jesus says, "I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll joyfully do it." And so I think we have to we have to just wrap our wrap ourselves around this concept and just realize that this is a, this is our story. We've been brought into the family of God, that Jesus looked at your life, looked at, looked at my life, and said, uh, you're not going to be without a covering. I'm going to do whatever it takes, pay whatever it, it costs, to, to maintain this, this family unity, and this togetherness. You're a stranger, I'm, I'm going to treat you like family. And that's what he's done for you, and what he's done for me. And so I believe the book of Ruth functions in a very great way. I think it's supposed to keep driving down deeply into our hearts this understanding of exactly how much God loves us and exactly what Jesus has done for us and to what great lengths He has gone to be our Redeemer. And that is not just something that we sing about or say or whatever. Like it, is, it absolutely fits into every part of life because you are in the family of God that He's treated you like family. Treated me like family, even though we deserve something far, far, far different, and I think we need to respond to that. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to do that. God, we thank you for uh, for a story that seems kind of strange at first. but yet you, you use these things in some pretty beautiful ways. And I believe that redemption and being redeemed is something that uh, we, we throw those terms around a lot, but I think it's something that we're all still learning about and trying to to gain a more deep and real understanding of. And so God, I ask that you would use, use the example of Boaz and Ruth to speak something into each of our hearts maybe, maybe to whisper some things that we really need to hear or to remind us of some things that we've forgotten or walked away from we thank you God that uh, you looked at our situation that we couldn't change and you said yeah I'll, I'm willing to, do, to, to fix this I'm willing to pay the price for this You are the only qualified redeemer. For Ruth there were there were other options. There were nearer redeemers. But for us nothing could pay that debt. And we thank you that you stepped in and you said, Yeah, I'll do it. I'm the only one who can. And I'm more than willing. We're grateful for that, Father. Thank you for sending your Son, Jesus. We thank you for your obedience. Let's just make, let's just sit in these thoughts for a minute or two, and then we'll sing and respond.